Welcome to The Divorce Podcast, a podcast that aims to address divorce, separation and co-parenting here in the UK, countering the often sensationalist way it's portrayed in the media, challenging the status quo and driving for reform. On each episode, I'm joined by experts to discuss divorce, separation and co-parenting from different angles and to give their opinions and to debate them. I'm Kate Daly, a relationship counsellor and divorce coach co-founder of Amicable and host of The Divorce Podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Dan Betts, the breaking dad. Dan is 31 years old and he's from Hampshire, a co-parent to his beautiful four-year-old daughter, Evie. Evie's mum and Dan separated just over two years ago when she was two and have since been navigating the ups and downs of co-parenting life, which as we know can be very tough. Dan started to share their journey together on social media in an honest, no-frills and candid way to show other co-parents who are struggling with parental separation that they aren't alone. He's now a substantial online following and is known as The Breaking Dad. Welcome, Dan. Hi, how are you doing? All right. I'm good, thank you. Good. So, Dan, let's start by talking about this moniker you have, The Breaking Dad. What was breaking about being a dad so i mean to start with it was a play on words so play on the breaking bad as you might have noticed but it felt really relevant to me because the process of separation i found incredibly difficult uh so for my whole life i've been building up towards you know establishing a family unit that typical life of buy a house have kids and all that sort of thing and then all of a sudden all of that was up in the air and i wasn't living with my daughter anymore um, I found myself sinking into quite a deep depression and I just didn't see the point. I was, what, what is this all for? I'm never going to have my daughter in the way that I was used to, you know, giving her a kiss goodnight every night, reading her a story before bed every evening. You know, all of that stuff, just suddenly everything I'd always wanted wasn't there anymore. So really, I started the Instagram as a as a, a bit of an outlet originally to, to ch- channel my focus and put it into something a little bit more positive than what I had been doing, you know, which was, was really just... A lot of that that time was around, I'd find myself often just sitting at home, not wanting to talk to anyone, not wanting to see my friends, not wanting to see family, because it meant that I had to talk about how I was feeling and I was really struggling with that. So it almost became a bit of a journal and uh, it made me accountable to my daughter, which is the reason why I started it. It's just sharing our experience together and also to share share what, what the experience is like for dads, because it's not an easy process to go through for dads. It's well documented how hard separation is for mums. And, and there's a lot of dads that don't don't do the right thing. But then what about the dads who do want to do the right thing? There's a lot of red tape and, and challenges there. Uh, so I wanted to share that journey, basically. And that's how the, the, the name was born. So it, it sounds like that it was quite a public thing to sort of put out your feelings there on Instagram and, and all the rest of it and some quite difficult feelings you were struggling with at the time. What was the thinking behind going so public with it? Do you know, it's a really interesting one. I had had an Instagram account, a personal Instagram account for a long time. And I'd always shared lots of pictures of what I've been up to with Evie. And I'd ummed and ahed for ages. I work in marketing myself. So I, I work a lot on, on social media platforms and, and well, across the whole whole kind of ether of marketing. But I'd ummed and ahed about doing a public account because I'd seen lots of public parenting accounts and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I was worried about all of the data protection stuff. I was wondering, you know, is it safe? All of these sort of things. Then I thought one day I'm just going to bite the bullet and start 
a public account and see see what happens. And over time, although the name was born and it was obvious what the message was, it wasn't that wasn't really, I would say, the niche to begin with. It very much evolved from that name into the account that it became, which was about separated parenting. It was supposed to share what being a good dad looks like. That was that was it, you know, and just my my mission to be a good parent to my daughter. And then I found very quickly on it gained traction because, you know, it was nice. A, it was nice for mums to see a dad that was taking an interest because it's very dominated by mums. The, the platform there's not many dads that do it, but also to hear another perspective. So I got a lot of messages, particularly early on, saying how nice it was to hear it from a man's point of view because you obviously a lot of mums are having conversations about what's going on, but they don't realise the impact that some of those conversations could have on the dad as well. Uh, there's one 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 story in particular which really I'll always remember. Actually, I got a message from someone who'd read some of the stuff that I'd, I was going through, and she'd realised what the, an impact it was having on her ex, and she realised some of the errors of her ways, and they ended up getting back together, which I thought oh, was wow. really lovely. Yeah, just from seeing a different perspective and thinking, yeah. actually, I can see where he's coming from. Yeah, and do you have a lot of dads follow you now? Then is it because I know you've got thousands and thousands of followers haven't you but do you know the balance between men and women is it dads looking to connect or no it's, it's still it's, well, I'd love for there to be more dads on a the platform there's there's it's about 86 percent mums so it's a very small percentage of dads but it's a very tight-knit little group of dads and you know there's quite a few parents that I speak to the people I speak to most probably are uh, a very small number of dads that we've got quite a nice little bond going as a consequence but it's majority mums because of the nature of Instagram yeah and why so I, I, I'm and I about how to ask this in not a provocative way why do you think people follow you because you're not claiming to be an expert so you're not putting out expert advice so what is it that makes people follow you what do you think it is about what you put out there and say that makes it appealing and helpful to people for me it's about honesty and it has always been about honesty so there's this thing with Instagram, especially as a, a social media channel, you know, where people share their beautiful homes, you know, the aspirational lives, you know, the beautiful holidays and, and the, the nice fancy cars that we're all supposed to look at that and aspire to have it. And it's all it makes us feel bad about ourselves when we don't have it. You know, my job as a marketer is to show people or anyone's job as a marketer is to show people a life that they could aspire to have, which is why you need to get that product. Right. So. When I look at Instagram, I think, well, why do we need to talk like that? Why do people need to talk in terms of what you haven't got and why your life isn't good enough when you could use a platform to talk about exactly what your life is and what, what's not, you know, what you can improve? Fine. You know, I talk about things like uh, I have certainly talked about in the past things that I'd like to improve about how my relationship with my ex was, for example, how I would have liked that to have been a little bit easier. But the majority of the time, it wasn't about that. It was about facing into a challenge and saying look this is where my life is now it's not ideal but this is what I'm grateful for you know this is how I'm bringing up my daughter now and this is what I want for her in the future and it was just very honest and saying you know you don't need to aspire to have things that these unattainable goals because life right now was good enough and that was a big turning point for me in the separation was realizing that I'd spent my whole life aspiring, aspiring to get up the career ladder, you know, probably at the detriment of my relationship with my daughter's mum. And I learned a lot about what was important from life. And actually, it's being grateful for what you've got instead of what you wish you had. Yeah. 
So it's the honesty that that you think, yeah, that, that that draws people in. And then just going back to that, what you were saying there about, you know, there were some things that you kind of wish you'd done differently in the hard times. When you were separating, what was it that enabled you to, do you think, to get to a place where you can co-parent and you can have this wonderful relationship with your daughter? What made the difference, I suppose? So... I mean, the relationship with, with Evie was always there. So I've always been very, very, I mean, she's, she's like a little mini me. So we've always been very, very close. And I think because my daughter's mum worked every other weekend, we, we, my daughter and I were used to having a lot of time together, which made the transition much easier. I think building a co-parenting relationship, the number one thing there is patience because it got very fractious. You know, it was very, very difficult when we first separated couldn't talk to each other it was only via email at one point you know and it was very very difficult to arrange anything because I'm sure she had her perception of what I was behaving like every time I felt like I was trying to suggest something it would get disagreed with just purely you know what I felt like was just purely because I'd suggested it so nothing we did seemed to move anything forward and and there were certain points within that 12 months after the well, first 12 months after the separation that I thought there's no way we're ever going to move things forward because we can't communicate so that's just really important I just want to just pause a second there because that's so important isn't it just to acknowledge that for so many people that first 12 months is pretty rubbish and you can feel like you're never going to get onto a platform where you can or a place where you can co-parent but actually what you're saying is you had to just be patient and work through that bit and by the sounds of it it does get better so I just want to really reiterate that because it's so hard when you're in that first 12 months isn't it and everything and do you know what that's the main conversation I have these days is now that life has sort of moved forward a lot since those times I remember everybody saying to me you know I'm in floods of tears to my mum all the time just thinking there's no way that this is ever going to get better and she goes I know you know I hate hate seeing you suffer like this and and she always say the same thing you know it does get better it just needs time you know time is a healer and you always think well it's so cliche that's the last thing you want to hear when you're in the midst of all that is because you don't you don't want to wait for it to get better you want it to be better you know but it's absolutely true you know the more that time passes the less the emotions sort of the, the emotions take less of a hold over time and then soon you can start to establish you know what is as close to a friendship as you can imagine you know it sounds like your mum was really important in terms of supporting you through this do you think it's important to have somebody that can walk alongside you without getting too involved or too judgy of the other person or what have you yeah so one of the things that I really struggled with is is I suppose inherently I'm probably quite quite a competitive person and what I'd seen initially or what I'd felt initially from the separation was that I'd failed I'd failed my daughter I'd failed my relationship because you know my daughter's mum had walked out so sure if she was going to walk out then I'd done something wrong you know it wasn't good enough so I really beat myself up about it and because of that competitiveness I didn't want to talk to any of my friends about it because that was almost like an admission of guilt that was uh you know it was it was really hitting the nail on the head as to why we'd separated and we'd start delving into detail and I didn't want to do that my mum was probably the only person that I felt like I could do that with She's been through separation herself. You know, I was brought up within a, a co-parenting family. I've got an amazing stepdad who, you know, is a kind of very, very key supporting figure in my life. And 
I think had I not had her to have those conversations, things would have gotten to a very, well, they did get to a very dark place that thankfully she was there to help me through that. And so when you were sort of trying to get um, like a co-parenting relationship established, how did you come up with the care pattern for Evie and, and all the logistics around who was going to have Christmases and birthdays? And what sort of process did you go through to get all of that established? To be honest, at the beginning, it was an absolute nightmare. So the, the biggest challenge that we had was that from my side, I knew that I had parental responsibility. So I knew I had rights. From her side, I think her perception of what my rights were were very different. So at the very beginning, it was it was very dictatorial. It was, you will have her every other weekend. You will see her when I say, and these are my terms, which I didn't agree with. Uh, so we would go back and forth via email initially. Things would gradually escalate. And, and at the very beginning, I think it's quite common that it sort of escalates to a point of breaking point. And then we couldn't communicate at all. So we got to that point where we just could not even have a, a, a conversation. So then it became, we decided that that we get solicitors involved, exchanged a few very expensive solicitors letters and achieved not very much and got pointed in the direction of, because the first thing you say is, right, I'll take you to court. That's what everyone says, you know, either way. It's like, well, we'll go to court. But no one realizes the actual cost of that. And as a, I mean, I was in the situation where I w- I'd taken on was, my daughter's mum had moved up, moved out, left me with the entire house to pay for all of this stuff. I was suddenly in, I was I was building up debt, you know, very quickly because I couldn't afford the lifestyle that we we'd had. And then solicitors' letters thrown into the fold, and thinking it's ramping up. And the solicitor said to me, "Look, mediation is the way forward." So we booked mediation session, and at that point, communication was so fractious that we didn't even have face to face mediation. We had shuttle mediation. And eventually, I mean, I think the way that what I loved about that was that a mediator gives you cold, hard facts. You know, it's, it's you can do that, but you shouldn't, you know, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah, know, you yes, can argue it, but, yeah. but why would you, you know? And, and there were, there was a situation where I remember the mediator saying to me, you know, I really feel for you, you know, what, what the way that they're behaving in this instance is not good. But what you've done is not good, you know, in terms of the way you've responded. You know, your emails are emotionally charged. You're not you're not talking like a professional. You know, you should approach communication in a professional sense, like it's a colleague, not an ex. So what it was was a real kind of humble, a bit of humble pie to swallow, really, where you had to go, oh, look, okay, they were in the wrong, but then I've not helped myself there. So we need to do this better. And and that's that through the mediator, we put a parenting plan in place. We agreed things like Christmases, Father's Days, Mother's Days, all of those key kind of birthdays, all that sort of stuff. And that parenting plan was absolutely crucial to setting a bit of a routine that couldn't be swayed on the, you know, on the first sniff of an argument. So it sounds like just having that, well, not just, but having that third party, that other person to try and help you reflect on your own, what you can control, the stuff you can do. Because you're right, if someone's being unreasonable, there's not a lot you can do about that behavior, but you do have the choice about how to respond. But And it feels like to me what you're saying is getting a grip of your responses rather than just reacting to things was absolutely critical in then enabling a dialogue to open up around a parenting plan. 
Well, yeah, ex- exactly that. You know, I, I know, like I said, I alluded to about the, the competitive nature. I think when you some, when someone raises an argument against you and says, well, you've done this, you've done that, you've done this. Well, I'd be like, well, no, I haven't. Well, you've done that and you've done this and you've done that. And I'd reply to every single point, you know, in a way that I thought was at the time me being clever, you know, because I'm saying, well, hold on a minute. But you've said this, but you're wrong because of that actually it was petulant and looking back it wasn't solving a problem it was it was a, if anything the phrase that really stood out to me was was about polarization it was uh, the the solicitor said it to me initially and the and the mediator said it as well she said look don't get dragged into these arguments because it doesn't achieve what you're trying to achieve all it does is polarize both sides and that is a really important point and at that point did you know what you wanted to achieve so did you have in your mind a clear kind of plan of how you wanted to co-parent or did that evolve as you sort of went through these negotiations? To be completely honest, I didn't know what co-parenting was. I didn't know what the, you know, we people use the phrase co-parenting and it's such a common phrase in my day-to-day language now. But I didn't know what co-parenting was. I knew that I wanted as much time with my daughter as possible, as close to 50% as I could. But I also knew that, in order to, to work a full-time job that going for full 50% was was not the best thing for my daughter. It was not in her best interest for me to do that because it would mean childcare and it would mean things like that. And I, I at that point, I didn't really understand what a solid co-parenting relationship would look like. I just knew that I wanted to be with my daughter as much as possible, you know, and, and, and likewise, that's exactly how my ex was behaving as well. She wanted her daughter with her as much as possible. Was the number element of it important? So you said there you wanted her 50% of the time. Is that what you meant? Or were you actually trying to say you just wanted a, a meaningful relationship or, or was actually at that point 50% quite a big thing in your mind? Because we get, I get this a lot. You know, People come with a number. I want at least 50%. Yeah. Do you know what it is? Is I think that a lot of people look at it and I think this, this goes for mums and dads, but whoever whoever would be paying maintenance looks at it as... I want half I, I, because I can look after them half and, and I don't want to pay you to raise my child. And that's what, that's what it felt like at the time. Um, and then because I, I wanted to be there for her as much as she was. And the reality was that, you know, and this is something that I've come to terms with since that, is that the money is so inconsequential. You know, I'm quite happy to pay my maintenance money, gets across bang on time every, every month, no questions asked, because actually the reality was what was best for Evie at the time was for me to have her a bit less than 50% because it puts less of a strain on her and it gives her a better timetable that suits her much more. But how did you come to that realisation? What had to happen for you to work that out then? Because that doesn't sound like that's where you started. No, that, that came through, again, through the conversation. It evolved. So it's almost, it was like a negotiation process. I wanted, you know, she wanted every other weekend. I didn't think that was enough. I wanted 50%. She thought that was too much. And then we sort of, we sort of batted timetables together. The mediator helped us to see what was reasonable, you know, what was achievable. And also was quite a, a sobering kind of point of contact, really, you know, to be able to say to you, do you think you can really do that? Do you think it's viable for you to do that? Or are you going to put too much strain on yourself? You know, what's the right thing for you to do to make sure that you're putting your child first? You know, and ultimately that's what we all wanted and that's how we arrived at the, the timetable, which works out. I think it works out 
40, just over 40 percent. So it's not like it's not like it's far off half. I think if I had a one day extra every other week, it would count as 50 50. So, you know, for the sake of sake of a bit of money and a timetable that works for everyone, it just seems like the right thing. And that's a shared care agreement, isn't it? You share the care of Evie, you're both parents, you both have homes that support her. And, you know, there isn't someone who's primary and secondary. It sounds like a very balanced relationship, irrespective of what the actual nitty gritty percentage of the time is. And I think that's what you're trying to get to ultimately, isn't it? It sounds like you had to be incredibly persistent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I um, it, 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 there was a lot, you know, it was a lot of pushing. There were a lot of difficult conversations that had to be had, difficult emails that had to be had. It got to a point where we followed the, the court route. I was prepared to go to court to argue it because I knew that I wanted to have my daughter more than what had been offered. Communication channels completely broke down. So so I wasn't even getting responses to emails at one point. And in, until I, I took the route of going to see a mediator on my own because mediation was refused, they signed the C, I think it's called the C100. I, I forget now, it's, it's been a while since I did that, but signed a particular form that needed to to make the application to the courts that sort of kick-started the process and interestingly actually we had all of that in place and it all sort of loosely worked and then it started to fall apart again after about six months of that and then when COVID hit last year and everybody went into lockdown that's when things suddenly saw a massive positive change it's almost like everybody's reflected over it and you know we're all at home thinking a little bit more and suddenly that's when we started rebuilding our, our sort of parenting relationship bizarrely so at the point where it, you both I guess needed each other a bit more because of COVID and needed to make sure that Evie was seeing both of you that's when you started to be able to communicate better that's so interesting I had a similar experience my co-parenting relationship definitely improved when COVID hit and I don't know why that should be I can't quite work that out it's something about needing to be more thoughtful and planned about it because it was harder to do it maybe I don't know yeah that suddenly I, I meant- almost think I almost think there's there's an element of suddenly you realise that everything's not permanent. You know, all of these these routines that we'd had, you know, I was going to and from the office every day. I was doing all of this stuff just on almost on autopilot because I've done it for years. And then suddenly when you're at home, you have to think about what's important. And, and you know, COVID is a serious illness. My, my sister's currently going through a bout of COVID. She, she, she's only 20, she's 22 now. And she's just about to get her vaccine and she's just got covid for the first time and it's a serious i mean she's really been taken out by it and i think that was all of that uncertainty about what that meant for the the country you know at that it's, it's easy to reflect now and and it, and it already seems less serious than it did at the time but nobody knew what the future looked like you know nobody knew what was going to happen to the economy and all of this stuff just everything was up in the air and it was a great time to reevaluate and think about what's really important and, and actually retrospectively I, we, we shifted our timetable based on because she, she had been furloughed and, and I hadn't we shifted the timetable so I'd have Evie every weekend from Friday to Monday for that for that that time first sort of three months of the pandemic and I'll look back on that probably as the fondest three months I've ever had with my daughter we had the best time because we it forced us to to stay at home find things to do because we couldn't go out and explore, you know, around us and the, the woods and the fields around us and go on a little adventures. And it was, it was, an, it, I mean, it's not devaluing in any, and I appreciate a lot of people had a horrible time, but from our little closed circuit of life, it was like a lovely little bubble to be in, you know? 
it sounds lovely. It sounds like you had a real chance to connect as parent and child, which is amazing. I'm conscious we've just had Father's Day. What was Father's Day like as a single dad? Oh, the, the first Father's Day was very difficult. It was it was horrible. It's, yeah, it was, a, it was a difficult one. It, it was it was very emotional to. Yeah, you know, funnily enough, I've still got the Father's Day thing she made for me at preschool on the wall in my kitchen, which has been there. I was thinking the other day, it's been sat there couple of years now but I just love looking at it it's got a little handprint and a, a little picture in a in a picture of a rocket but yeah it was again that's one of those the, the, the first time for all of those key kind of dates first birthday you know her first birthday after the separation Christmas Father's Day all of those are really really difficult once you get those first ones sort of ticked off the list and you sort of realize it's not as bad as you think it's going to be things start to get a bit easier but it, it was difficult what would you say to somebody who's like approaching that or who's just gone through the first Father's Day and it's been awful? What how what helps? I, I always describe it the same way. It's, it's like trudging through mud. It's always, you know, walking through really thick mud. You just have to keep going. And, and it doesn't feel like, you know, you feel exhausted and you feel like there's no point sometimes. And I certainly felt like that in the run up towards Chris, the first Christmas in particular. I really, really struggled with it. I think first father's day it had only been a couple of months since the separation so it was all still a bit up in the air first christmas was the time it hit the hardest because i just could not see the light at the end of the tunnel you know mm -hmm. it sounds tricky what are the other kind of key milestones do you think when you're going through a, a co-parenting relationship what are the other things to watch out for i think the the, the crucial you know, in terms of milestones, in terms of your relationship with the other parent, it, it's getting a structure in place. It, and it, 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 you need a, a defined plan as to how you're going to approach parenting. And you need a defined method of communication that works for everybody. And, and, and the key milestone for me in that is being able to strip out your emotions and your, your relationship. You know, if, you, if, if you're close enough with someone to have a child with them, you're probably quite, you know, emotionally tied with them so then trying to take that aspect out of it and talk to them like a, a business colleague and you know in very short sharp professional language is really tough because you've got all these beautiful memories you know I was there obviously the, the two of us shared the birth of our daughter you know it's such a, a significant moment in my life yet now that person is practically a stranger to me in terms of there's an exchange that happens we have a very base level communication but that's it you know and it's all around Evie so that's in the parenting aspect. In terms of key milestones as a as a father after separation or as a parent after separation, I think it's it's the first on those significant days. So so whether it's Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas, birthdays, their birthdays, you know, birthdays are really tough. I remember having to pick my daughter up on her first birthday after we separated and my ex was refusing to see me or do the handover with me directly. So he took my stepdad with me and they did the handover. I sat in the car and I'm right, I'm right next to it as the exchange is happening. Evie was crying her eyes out because she was a bit uncomfortable going to my stepdad because she's two years old and she only wanted mummy or daddy. And I've sat there absolutely helpless, not able to do anything. And that was probably the most gut wrenching experience because all I wanted to do was console my daughter and I wasn't able to, you know, so that wasn't, that was a tough time. But it sounds like your advice from before about just having to the, trudge through the mud and carry on, it sounds like that's the only thing you can say to people at that stage, that there are going to be really horrible moments. 
and I've had quite a few myself and it is it, it, you just sometimes want to put your head in your hands and scream don't you because it's so frustrating when you feel so powerless and helpless to do anything yeah and I, I think the the biggest consolation prize that that I can I can say to anyone going through through that is once you get through it and you look back and you you see that you made it through it's this massive feeling of success you know a huge sense of achievement that you've managed to to weather that storm you know I feel like that now I feel like I look back at that time that was was incredibly difficult and came out probably a much better parent because of it because I appreciate the value of my time with my child infinitely more and it sounds like things have moved on for you you've got a new partner yeah yeah new partner rosie we've been together a year and so what was it like introducing a new partner into the whole co-parenting mix then it was really weird actually it's really it's a really nerve-wracking time i mean she's got two children herself uh, tilly and liza so they're two and two and six now and it yeah it was real unusual time because when you'd ordinarily start up a relationship you're only really thinking about you know before children you're thinking about each other and there's no consequence to if it ends it ends you move on and when you're meeting somebody else and you're you're considering dating you need to think about you know is this person right Could, could i see this person being a parent figure you know a guardian figure to them do i have that relationship with them that i'd want do i see a future with them every everything seems so much more substantial when you've got children involved so we took that process incredibly slowly so funnily enough as part of our parenting plan Evie's mum and I had agreed that if we were to start dating it'd be a minimum of three months before an introduction with children because we just felt like we needed to put that that measure in place you know so the children didn't have to go through or so Evie wouldn't go through any kind of confused Yes, yeah. someone coming in. Someone here's going, another person. Sudden, yeah, here's yeah. another one. No, there they're going away. Yeah, yeah, and we and we were we were really worried about that. So I must admit, I took I wanted to take things very very slowly, and I introduced Evie just after three months. We had a little day out together, but it was very much as a this is this is Daddy's friend. You know, didn't try to force anything. You know, in terms of. Rosie just took a back seat and let us have a a usual day together, and she was just there. And then we didn't see each other again for another couple of months because we just kept it nice and casual. As in, Evie, Evie didn't see Rosie for another couple of months. And we introduced the kids together um, around three or four months after that. So about six or seven months before we really you know, brought everyone together. And we took a, we're very conscious we wanted to do it in neutral locations. So it wasn't going to be at my house. It wasn't going to be at their house. So we went out, funnily enough, we went pumpkin picking for our first little day out together, which was lovely. And... I mean, amazingly, they've just been best friends since they met all of these kids. The kids absolutely adore each other. Liza, who's two, gets so excited to see Evie. It's lovely. It's it's really nice. It sounds like it was the parenting, having it in the parenting plan. So having had the discussion with Evie's mum already, that had then laid the groundwork for you to be able to focus on what was right for you and your new blended family rather than having to constantly worry about renegotiating with Evie's mum. Is that fair enough or...? Yeah, a hundred percent. And and you know, one of those things one of the things about reestablishing that that parenting relationship, you know, it's like that professional relationship was that we'd outlined that time frame and also I I took it like I say very carefully. So I, I said to to Evie's mum, you know, I'm thinking of introducing her soon to my new partner. 
how do you feel about that? And, you know, she, she was absolutely fine. She said, no, no worries at all. And I think part of that is having that open and honest communication first, because if I'd have just said, I've introduced Evie to my new partner, she might have felt a little bit defensive. But I think the reality, you know, being involved in that decision-making process or, or at least informed rather than it wasn't an asked permission. It was a, this is what I'm going to do, but I just wanted to let you know it was like a courtesy thing more than a, do you mind if I do this, you know? And that's a, that's a very important balance to get right. But I think it, it helps a lot in terms that's of... That's exactly it, isn't it? It's that balance between you don't need your partner's permission, but out of courtesy, you should discuss it with them beforehand, isn't it? And that's the balance so that no one's in a place of kind of dictating or you don't have to get as you were saying to that place of polarizing well you can't stop me well yes I can that's exactly the right tone isn't it so it's the I'm letting you know this is something I'm going to do I'm not asking permission I'm letting you know and I'm receptive to any feedback you might have about that yeah yeah and that's exactly that's 100% it it's about you know talk to me if you've got any concerns if there's anything you want to know you know I was fully expecting the you know who is she what does she do tell me about her life you know just just because she might want to know but you know the reality was she's quite happy because Evie tells her everything anyway (laughs) listen I, I could talk forever but we are coming to the end of time Dan thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast where can people find out more about you so on Instagram I'm at the underscore breaking underscore dad or you can see my blog which I have I need to update more often actually thebreakingdad.co.uk Brilliant. Thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. You can find out more about me. I'm Kate underscore daily on Twitter. And you can also subscribe to the podcast at thedivorcepodcast.com. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks a lot.